before we get too far into omnipresence, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you're here in this place. God, I pray that every song that is sung, every word that is spoken would reflect your glory and would give you praise. Thank you for this time that we get to open up your word and learn learn more about your character and and who we should be in light of who you are. So God, I just pray that you would have your hand on this time. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, most of you have picked up already that our attribute of focus today is on God's omnipresence, which is a word we use all the time, right? Um, I hear it all the time out in the foyer. We use omnipresence. No, we never use it, actually, because it's really long. Um, but its meaning, its meaning is something that we are all quite common with, right? We, we learn very early on in Sunday school that um, God is present. And if you've been around the church for any number of years, um, his omnipresence is something that is, is very much common knowledge. Um, the word itself is not very complicated. Uh, sounds fancy. Uh, the Latin prefix omni just simply means all, and the word present, most, most of us know, just means here. So simply put, God is always present everywhere at once. And I don't just want to move past that fact because that's, that's an incredible reality. Um, I think sometimes we miss it because a lot of times when we hear about God being present in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I mean, mountains are shaking, tongues of fire, faces are glowing, bushes are burning, like some, some real crazy stuff is happening when he makes his presence known or, or manifest to his people. But again, omnipresence doesn't require God to show up in a, in a crazy powerful way. It just simply means that he is always present. Regardless of whether or not we can see him, he's here now in this place. And if you're watching at home, he's as much with you there as he is here because that aspect of omnipresence means that he is everywhere, always in fullness at once. The prophet Jeremiah alludes to this attribute in Jeremiah 23 in saying, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? In his book, The Pursuit of God, which I highly recommend if you have not read it, uh, A.W. Tozer speaks of omnipresence in this way. Wherever we are, God is here. There is no place, there can be no place where he is not. Ten million intelligences standing at as many points in space and separated by incomprehensible distances can each one say with equal truth, God is here. No point is nearer to God than any other point. It is exactly as near to God from any other place as it is from any other place. No one is in mere distance any further from or nearer to God than any other person is. So if you have a really annoying Christian friend who likes to brag about how close they are to Jesus all the time, you can sound really smart and be like, well, you're really no closer to him than I am, spatially speaking. Don't do that. That would be really dumb. Um, 
But you could, and you would be right, based on omnipresence. Um, so we have to ask, how is it possible for God to be present in this way? To be as fully present as He is here today, as He is out in the foyer, or in your living room at home, or wherever you are. Um, Jesus alludes to this attribute in John 4.24, in speaking of the character and nature of God, um, a verse that we're all pretty familiar with. Um, God is spirit. And so he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So while he is the same God that Jeremiah states can fill the heavens and the earth, he is spirit, meaning he's, he's immaterial, right? He's not, he's not bound to the constrictions of a body as we are. And so there really is no place that can fill or be filled by his greatness, and there's really no space that's small enough to where his greatness can't get into, Right? He's spirit. He's immaterial. He is always present. And he can be everywhere at once. Now, I don't know about you, but as I, as I sat here and I tried to think through omnipresence, and honestly, for much of my life, as I've, if, as I've tried to think through the presence of God, sometimes it's really difficult for me to do that. To actually imagine God here, now, next to you, next to me, on this stage, in this place. We use words to define God, like sovereign, eternal, infinite, mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, right? These are, these are really big words, and rightfully so, because as we look at Scripture, that is who God is, right? That is who He has revealed Himself to be in scripture and so we talk about him we sing songs about him we look at him in those terms but the problem is that your mind and my mind is finite right and we're trying to understand this this infinite great awesome god and i think sometimes there's unintended consequences of trying to understand him with our small minds and as we focus on the greatness of God, it kind of creates a little bit of disconnect, right? It creates a little bit of disconnect because it's really hard to picture a God that big, that great, that mighty here, right now, in this place. Or as I sit in my office in Stephen's big comfortable leather chair, it's, it's hard to imagine his, his presence as I'm sitting there digging through the pages of Scripture, it's hard to imagine that God would be present because He is so great. And yet, we should never allow the greatness of God to overshadow the reality of His presence. Because the beauty of His greatness is magnified by the reality of His presence. There is a world out there that, that even, even their acknowledgement of God is, is real big guy in the sky, right? It's God if you're up there. God if you're listening. That's how our world sees God. But we know as we dig through the pages of Scripture that we serve an omnipresent creator, a creator who is, who is here now. And as we talk about all of these amazing attributes of who He is, while all of those are true, We cannot lose sight of the fact that He is near. That He is present. And that His greatness, while it is a means of worship, it is not a means of distance between us and our Creator. So let's not forget that as we go through this. Still, why did God reveal Himself 
as omnipresent to us. Right? There's a lot about God that we don't know. We accept that through Scripture. That there's no way that we could know everything about Him. But He chose to reveal Himself to us as omnipresent. So why? And what should our response be to His omnipresence? Is it just kind of a a fun fact that's trivial in nature? Right? Just something that we learn in Sunday school about God and we just kind of file it away in the back of our minds? I would hope not. But I think for many of us, we've accepted from very young on that God is present. That He is here, and yet it really makes no more of a difference in our lives than in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? It's just, it's, it's something that we know, it's something that we accept as truth, and then we move on. So is that how we're supposed to understand His omnipresence? Or is it more of a functional knowledge about God? Something that we need to be aware of only when we, when we have a need for it. If I'm being totally honest with you, that's probably where my understanding of omnipresence of God is most of the time. God, I, I, I really need you right now. Um, God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I really need you right now. God, I'm desperate for you. I, I need you right now. Whenever I face circumstances like these that cause prayers like this to leave my mouth, I'm really aware of God's presence and the impact of it. I'm really aware of the fact that He is here in the midst of great difficulty or in the, in, in the midst of great need. And yet... To be honest, when I'm at home binge-watching Netflix, when I'm shoveling my driveway or mowing the grass or on a date night with Olivia or playing with the kids, I'm not all that aware of His presence in my life or the impact of it. Because in a functional understanding of His presence, where there's no need, there's really no need to be aware. There's really no need for Him. Put it another way, how many of you drove into church today uh, really thankful for the fact that your car wasn't floating off the road and into space? Right? You ever just, you ever just drive into work thinking, man, way to go, gravity, you're rocking it today. No, right? My guess is that most of you did not get out of your cars today and think, oh, look guys, I'm not floating. I'm not, I'm not floating up into space. Feet on the ground, this is great, Right? No, because you don't care about gravitational pull. You don't. You don't think about it. It impacts your life every single day, every single movement that you make. But you don't really care about it. You learned about it a while ago. That's great. Gravitational pull, 1492. It's back here somewhere. But when are you aware of gravitational pull? I'll tell you when I am. Usually comes in the fall because I'm either cleaning out my gutters, standing on my roof, still thinking that it's smart for me to lean down from the roof and clean out my gutter like this. That's smart. You know what I'm thinking about there? An apple hitting Isaac Newton in the head. I'm just like, wow, gravitational pull. Or when I'm doing this move, hanging Christmas lights, where I got my, I got my foot in the ladder and I'm trying to get the last rung because that's smarter than just taking three steps down and moving the ladder a foot to the left, right? So I'm trying to pull this move. And as I'm doing that, I am painfully, 
painfully aware of gravitational pull, the apple, the, all of that, right? Because the circumstances that I'm going through brings that dusty fact to the front of my mind and all of a sudden it has never become more relevant to me. Is this how God wants us to understand the fact that he's always there? As a fact to be filed away, only to be drawn upon in times of great joy or great need or great suffering. And please hear me say, I, I, don't, I don't say this to diminish the reality that he is there in those times. Because he is. And that is a part of his omnipresence. That's a part of what makes him the incredible God that he is, that he's there for us in those times. But I say it to highlight the fact that he is no more present in those sporadic moments where we are aware of his presence than he was in the moments that came before or came after. Regardless of our awareness of, our, of his presence or our perceived need for his presence, he is the ever-present God. Always. But why? I'm sure that God has a lot on his plate, so for us to just get him on like a divine retainer, it seems, seems a little weird. For him to just be on standby mode for whenever we need him, it just doesn't seem like that's really why he is always present. Did he have something else in mind when he revealed his omnipresence to us? Is there a greater reason of why he is always present? Paul uncovers a crucial reason behind why God is omnipresent. Basically, it's because we need him. As we look at Colossians 1, 15 through 17, Paul says, He, speaking of Jesus, is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In short, God is omnipresent, not to just be a passive observer, but to be actively involved in every aspect of creation. God is not omnipresent to be a passive observer, but to be actively involved in every aspect of creation. Uh, Pastor Chris did a great job breaking down the Trinity a few weeks back, and since we now all have um, our MDiv in understanding the Trinity, I don't really feel the need to break down of why when Paul is speaking of Jesus, that refers to the whole Godhead. Um, I, think, I think we know enough to move on from there. Um, but that being said, some really like to present this view of God as kind of this divine watchmaker, right? The God who just kind of set things in motion and then took a step back and crossed his hands and said, well, we'll just kind of, we'll kind of see how this all plays out. It's kind of a popular view of most deists out there, right? People who just believe that there is a God, but he's not really in the nitty-gritty of things. He just kind of set things in motion. And yet, what we read here in Colossians chapter 1 is a very different picture painted by Paul of our Creator. 
who through the person of Jesus created this world and everything in it, created every space we could possibly fill or peer into, this God is not passive. He is not a passive observer, but instead he is imminent. He is imminent, meaning that he is intimately involved with all that he created, always before it, never separated from it, holding it together by the strength of his omnipotent hand. This is what Paul means when he says that he is before all things, and in all things, he holds them together. Simply put, God is omnipresent because we need him to be. We need him to be. Because if he wasn't, the universe and everything in it would unravel at the seams. We have... um, kind of a perceived view of control because we can kind of predict the weather and we have a telescope that can see really far and so we think, yeah, we got this. And yet, there is a God who sends the rain. And there is a God who holds the stars in place. He is ever-present to hold back the tides. He is ever-present to hold our earth in its proper alignment between the sun and the moon. He is ever-present to hold the seemingly endless cells of our body together. Our God isn't watching from afar or standing idly by. But He is actively and intimately involved with every aspect of life always present, always imminent, always intimately involved with that which he created. And this intimate involvement extends to his relationship with us as well. And the passage that I believe paints the clearest picture of how this attribute intersects with our everyday lives is Psalm 139. It's here we see that God's omnipresence reaches beyond sustaining the universe and into the most minute details of everyday life. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 139. Again, it's on page 521 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading the first 18 verses together. You can follow along on the screen as well. We have it on the PowerPoint, so don't rush if you don't have to. But if you're like me and you like to flip the pages, go ahead and follow along. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. So we come back to that question of why God revealed to us his omnipresence. Why God revealed to us his omnipresence. Was it just the fact that we needed to know about him? Was it just the fact that we needed, maybe, maybe it was a necessary fact, right? Because to understand God as the God who is the sustainer of all things, like right now, he's holding everything together in China, and he's holding everything together here in the U.S., and he's holding everything together here in this room, and, and upstairs, and in my body, and your body. I, I guess for us to understand him as sustainer, we would need to connect some dots, right? And so maybe he gave us his omnipresence as kind of a, here, I know your mind is, is, is finite. So if you understand me as being omnipresent, then maybe you can understand these things a little bit better. Is that it? Or again, was it some kind of functional knowledge, some kind of Marvin Gaye, ain't no mountain high enough, right? Like, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far, I'll be there in a hurry, you don't have to worry. Like, is that it? Is God just kind of there when we need him? Pretty impressive, right? Like, being nervous, and I got all those Marvin Gaye lyrics. I don't know if they're in order. Where's Jeremy Slate? My brother. Anytime I make a music reference, Jeremy Slate is there for me. So, But is that why? I would argue, and I think David would argue, no. That's not all that there is. Yeah, it's a really important fact about God that we should file away that helps us understand greater aspects of his character or different aspects of his character. And yes, he is there for us when we need him. But if we read this chapter right, he's there when we don't think we need him, right? I mean, how many of you wake up and think, glad God's there? No. How many of you go down to sleep at night and think, well, glad God's here? No, right? Like, it's gravity sometimes. And yet, think of how David describes our omnipresent God here. You know me. You have this this knowledge about me that is too high. You lead me by your hand. You, you hem me in and, and you're leading me by your hand. And, 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 and man, your, your thoughts are, are always on me. If I even tried counting them, I couldn't because they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. And it makes sense because even before there was ever a me to be known, you knew me. And your hands knit me together in the womb of my mother. Before my days even were one, you had them numbered. Like you have this, this intimate knowledge of who I am. Because our God is imminent. He is actively involved, intimately involved in all of his creation. Us included. What we see here, at least what I hope that we're beginning to see is 
that this beautiful psalm reveals one of the most beautiful whys behind God's omnipresence. That is that God is omnipresent to pursue relationship with us and to give us the opportunity to pursue relationship with him. Notice, there's not a whole lot that David is bringing to the table here, right? God is not responding to David in this way. God is not present in David's life in this way because of anything that David is doing. He is a passive participant in this chapter talking about a very personal, a very intimate, a very present, actively present God. A God who knows him. David didn't ask for that. A God who hems him in and leads him by his hand. David didn't ask for that. A God who thinks about David constantly. David certainly didn't do anything. If you read on through the life of David, he definitely didn't do anything to deserve that. And yet our God is, not because of who David is, but because of who he is. Always actively present. Always pursuing David always pursuing relationship both with him and with us. I think we'll all agree that a lot has changed since Eden, right? A lot has changed since they bit the fruit. You know what hasn't? Our God. He never changes. And so while our sin may have made it as such where we cannot walk through the garden in the cool of the day with our Heavenly Father and Creator anymore, it doesn't change the fact that He wants us to know Him and enjoy Him forever. It doesn't change the fact that He wants all of us to know the freedom and the joy and the intimacy that comes through knowing Him. That hasn't changed So much so that we see what he was willing to do through the beauty of the gospel. That that relationship that was broken by our sin, he mended. He made the possibility of being made right through the death of his son. What kind of a love is that? What kind of pursuit is that? That he wanted us to have that restored relationship with him so much that what was broken by our sin... He was willing to restore through the perfection of his son. We see this radical act of love. Josh, you're on it today, man. You are Josh Slade. He's got the slides up and running. Second uh, Corinthians 5:21. For our sake, he made him. For our sake, he made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the lengths at which our Father was willing to go to restore what was broken by our sin. My prayer is that if there's anybody here today, or anybody watching at home, who has not reached out and taken, taken a hold of this free gift of grace that God offers to you through faith. 
You may very well know who God is. You may very well even believe that he's present always. It's if you believe in God, it's a, it's a very common undisputed belief about him that he's always there. In order for him to be God, he always has to be there. But if you have no idea what it means to have a relationship with a God you've never seen, if you have no idea what it means to reach out in faith and take a hold of his gift of grace, my prayer is that today would be that day for you. Whether you're here today or at home, if you're here today, you have an advantage. We have elders who are going to be up here after the service who are willing um, to talk to you and pray with you and help you understand more about what that means. And my prayer is that you will take advantage of that. And today will be the day where what has been broken by your sin will be restored through his son. So come down front after the service. I know that's how we typically end the service here. And most of you are looking at your notes and you're starting to get the sweats. And you're like, wait, there's more fill in the blanks. Josh missed the mark. We're not done. So chill. (laughs) Because there's more to be said on this topic for an honest overview. Because to simply say that God is always present is to ignore the reality that sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Because we read in Scripture that He is always there. We read about His omnipresence, and yet there are times, there are seasons, sometimes very lengthy seasons, where He feels anything but present. It's interesting how the same author of Psalm 139, David, also penned the words in Psalm 10.1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in in times of trouble? In the same book of Psalms that so often praises the benefits of God's presence, we read Psalms like Psalm 88. Starting in verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to Sheol. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? It's called a psalm of lament. There's a few like them throughout the book of Psalms. It's different than the psalms we see where David is uh, being punished for his sin or feeling distance from God because of mistakes that he's made. These are chapters where there is no real reason. There's, no, there's nothing that we can draw out of them for this distance. It's just there. It's just a season where the author simply cannot feel the God that he craves to be in the presence of, and he can't understand why. And a lot of times you read certain Psalms where it starts that way and it ends with hope and it ends with restoration and it ends with, man, I had a question, but then here's the answer. These Psalms don't end that way. These Psalms are a pregnant pause throughout the pages of Scripture where real men felt real distance from their God whether it was real or not. And I don't know where all of you are at today. I know it's not real cool in Christian circles to admit that you feel far from God. I know it's far more cool to talk about how close we are and His greatness and all of that, and we can affirm that to be true because that's what Scripture says. But at the end of the day, sometimes we face these seasons where an omnipresent God feels anything but present. I remember when I was your guys' age, I thought it was really cool. My parents let me move down into the basement. I am a picky sleeper. 
My wife can attest to this. I sleep with earplugs because I can't take noise, but I have a fan on because I can't take quiet. And to drown out the fan, I sleep with a pillow over my head. You laugh, I'm not kidding. This is how I sleep. It was a nightmare for me growing up because I slept upstairs and there was a street light right outside my window and birds up in a tree that chirp five in the morning every single day. I'm up with the birds. I don't like life, right? So my parents at 13, when all kids are really enjoyable, say, move down into the cave. Just go down in the basement. It'll be better for everybody. So I moved down there. And it was cool. It had exposed rafters and pipes were hanging out. And I was a little bit of a hippie growing up. And so I had beads in the doorway and a lava lamp and I burnt incense. My parents were worried about my extracurriculars. They had nothing to worry about. I just really liked tie-dye. So that's how I decorated my room. From my bed that night... You could see hanging down from the pipe because of the cool glow from the lava lamp, man, super far out. You could see this string that would hang down from this pipe. I had a lot lot of good nights in that basement. I had a lot of really cool nights um, in Scripture and um, singing Christian songs that I wouldn't admit to you today that I was singing. It wouldn't be cool to look it up on Spotify. Um... But that was a season in my life where I had space to just press into God and, and get to know him more. And so it was, it was kind of a, when I go down in that basement, it's kind of a, it's a sweet place for me because it's a place where, um, it's just a place where I, I, I had a lot of growing. But there was also a lot of groaning that happened in that basement. Obviously, um, teenagers are tough, right? Teenagers are tough. And you have a lot of questions, and you feel like you have more questions than answers. And um, friendships are really dumb. Sorry, guys. Friendships are really dumb in high school and middle school, so there's a lot of broken relationships. And you start facing the brokenness of the world more, and it causes you to ask more and more questions. And a lot of my questions were directed at God during those times. Um, there were hard years that my family went through, or my brother was kind of estranged from our family. There was, there was broken relationships, all kinds of stuff. And, and, and it was in that basement where I dealt with most of that. And I remember on those really bad nights, I remember crying out to God. And sometimes it was in anger, frustration, Ask him why, where he was, couldn't feel him, whatever. And yet my prayer would always end in the same way. I'd look up at that green string. It wasn't green, it was white, but again, cool lava lamp glow. I'd look up at that string and I would say, God, I don't need you to fix this. God, I don't need you to answer my questions. I don't need for you to show up in some radical way and make everything better. I I really don't. All I want you to do is move that string. I know what your word says, and I know that you created this world, and I know that you created it in power, and I know that you are able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or think. And so for me to think that you can move that string isn't a very big thing at all. And so I'm just asking, if you are here in the midst of whatever this is that I'm going through, I don't need you to fix it. Would you just move the string? And I remember praying similar prayers once I was out of the basement in college. 
Um, there wasn't string hanging from a pipe, but I remember praying similar prayers. Just God, if you're here, would you just show me? Would you just do something to show me that you're here? Because I can't see you in the midst of this, and I can't feel you right now, and this is really hard. And it would just be, it would just be really great to know that you're here. I prayed a lot of those prayers um, at our first stop in ministry because that got really hard and there were some really dark days. And I remember crying out to him and just saying, God, I really just, I need to know that you're here. And I know what you're thinking. He never moved the string. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not concluding with him moving the string. <sighs> Almost got Pentecostal there. No. Um, <laughs> They're never going to let me preach again. Um, no, he didn't, he didn't ever move the string. And honestly, those prayers that went unanswered, it, it actually it, it created a lot of anger that I had towards God. We'll, we'll, for a period of time, we'll just call it my 20s. <laughs> and um, I didn't understand. I didn't understand why a God who is always present, a God who loves me in the way that Psalm 39 attested to, wouldn't just move a piece of string, wouldn't just show up in a way to, to let me know that he's there. I really couldn't understand it. And then I had kids. Um, most of you who are parents know that we all just fake it when we have our first kid, right? We pretend like we know what we're doing. We have no idea what we're doing. And the only difference between the first kid and now the third going on fourth kid is that we just get better at faking it, right? We just get better at pretending that we actually know what we're doing. And we look at other parents with that look on their face. They're like, oh, I used to look like that. And I learned how to hide it. Um, <laughs> I remember when we had Jacob going into the doctor's office and um, Jacob always had something wrong with him. The doctor was always like, he's got a thumb that goes like this. You need to see a specialist. And we didn't know what we were doing. And, and so I remember one time the doctor said, hey, you have to, uh, you have to give, give your child more tummy time. Okay, <laughs> what is that? Well, those of you who are parents, you know what, what tummy time is. It's not very complicated. It's time on the tummy. And uh, they should call it torture time, though, right? Because when your child goes on its tummy... Now, you might have had one of these little divine spawns that when you put them on your tummy, they're just like, ah, oh, this is great, little cocoon. We did not have that. We had a child who was always happy, except when we put him on the doctor-regimented tummy time. And to see my son in the, the, like, the motion that he would do, the way he would contort his head either to look for us for comfort or to just catch the eyes of the person who's doing it to him, be like, what is this? What is this? Either way, to see his little body flailing like that, it was horrible. Jacob had a very cute cry, not when he was on tummy time. That was a different level of cry. And yet, those of you who are parents and you've been through this horrible practice, you know the why behind the what, right? You know why the doctor says put him on tummy time because as, as your child wrenches its neck looking for you or looking to look at you, whatever that is, he's strengthening his neck muscles, right? It's, it's the very thing that is going to help him the most with one day holding up his head. Because it'd be really weird to just see a 30-year-old person walking around like this. And as he cries, a cry that he otherwise might not do in my arms, right? 
because this is a safe place. But as I put him down on his tummy and he screams, that crying, it's actually good for his vocal cords to a certain extent. Strengthen those up. And as he flails his arms and legs just out of absolute anger for what we're doing to him, that strengthens his core and it strengthens all other parts of his body so that our little boy can one day roll over and sit up and crawl and stand up and walk. Try explaining that to a six-month-old. In the midst of Jacob's most painful times, all he wanted us to do was pick him up and let him know that we were there. Yet what he didn't know and what we could never explain to him was the purpose behind his pain. That there was purpose behind his pain. In seasons where God seems far away, we must press into the promise of his presence all the more. Because sometimes as believers, we're going to face seasons, both long and short, where God seems far away. And for a lot of believers, they give up, right? In those feelings, those, those seasons where God feels far away, they just kind of give up. And yet what I want to call us to do is to press into those promises, to fight, to flail. And to believe that those promises are true. To press into them all the more. Believing the promises of James 4.8, that if we draw near to God, that He will draw near to you. Knowing that our searching is not in vain and knowing that our struggle will only strengthen us for what he has next for us. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Let us say it again. The universal presence is fact. God is here. The whole universe is alive with his life, and he is no stranger foreign God, but the familiar father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose love has for thousands of years enfolded the sinful race of man. And always he is trying to get our attention to reveal himself to us, to communicate with us. We have within us the ability to know him, if we will but respond to his overtures. And this we call pursuing God. We will know him in increasing degrees as our receptivity becomes more perfect by faith and love and practice. I've really appreciated the words of, of Tozer and other tenured saints who've spoken to my life during seasons where um, God felt particularly far who along with the word of God had many years of hindsight to be able to speak into what I was currently going through and say, yeah, I've been there before. And his word is true because. One, because it's true, but also because I can tell you by my life that it's true. I can show you the moments where God felt the furthest and showed up in the greatest possible ways. He's there. His word is true. Press on. Man, I needed people like that in my life. And so my charge to you tenured saints who are in here, never stop singing of God's ways in which he's shown up in your life. Never stop singing those testimonies because there's a generation who's coming up behind you 
Who needs to hear that? Who needs to not just hear God's word is true because God's word is true and it is. But we also have a real God who shows up in real ways. Who pursues us in real ways. Who wants a real relationship with us. And the next generation needs to know that. That that God is real. And that he's really in pursuit of them. And that he really loves them. And that's where you come in. Because you know this to be true. You felt it to be true. So don't stop speaking of those times where God has shown up in your life. And to my younger saints, either in age or in years with Jesus, let his word be his guide as you seek his face. Let his promises propel you forward in your pursuit of him. Because feelings change. We can't bank on that. And just because God feels far doesn't mean that he is. He's still right there. And his word is still true. Press into that reality. And don't let your feelings discredit his word or dissuade you in your pursuit of him. But press on. I want to close today, at least my time today, with the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, verses 26 through 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God. And in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Our God is always present. Let us press into the beautiful promise of that reality. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the fact that you're here in this place. I thank you for the fact that your Holy Spirit is at work. God, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could even begin to ask or think through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that if there are people in this place today who cannot feel your presence, who cannot sense it, that they've called upon the name of Jesus and yet they're just in a season of distance. God, I pray that through the encouragement of your word and the encouragement of the saints, that they would be encouraged in their pursuit of you. God, and I pray that if there are people here today who live their lives convinced of the reality that you are ever before them, God, may they never stop sharing the beauty of that promise and how it's made manifest in their life. God, may your presence lead us and guide us all the days of our lives. And may we never stop pursuing you with all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.